Welcome to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. In this episode, the Professor, the Judge, Cooter and Paul Dalligan look at what's wrong with the AFLW and how it can be fixed. I first wanted to uh, talk about the, sorry, the AFLW. Um, over the last round, we've seen two teams unable to score a goal. Um, St Kilda against Carlton and GWS playing Adelaide. That can't be good for the competition. What worries me is that at the end of this season, four new teams will come in, about 130 extra players who will be able to play AFL standard will be required. Where, where is the competition going and how can they fix clear systemic problems with what's going on? It's not a good outcome. You always want more goals than an Anthony Robbins seminar. So in any sport, I'd say. So the the drought of scoring can't be good for anyone. Judge, have you got some thoughts on it? I have, Professor. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to come off the long run today. Um, and I sort of have to establish, I think, my credentials about being a supporter of women's football, uh, which this show has been throughout. So um, before my current job, I was the lawyer for women's football. Um, I always knew, I'm not just saying this, I always knew that women's football was going to be a revolution. Um, so you can't get greater supporters of the women's game than myself in this program. But uh, what I have to say, Professor, is that uh, a bit of truth-telling needs to be spoken about the game. And uh, I saw that the game, yes, so the Carlton St Kilda and uh, a bit of some other games. And uh, I have to say that the real problem is that the, the standard of the game I think it's pretty poor, um, poor to woeful. There are some terrific games, and we saw one a couple of weeks ago with Bulldogs and Adelaide, and uh, they're terrific games. But uh, just watching the game yesterday with St Kilda, it's, it's quite clear that the, the standard of the players is terrible. Um, you, you talk about four more teams coming in. Uh, and if this standard is going to be further diluted, uh, well, look out. It's... Um, I said when the game started, uh, what was it, six years ago, that the comparison I make, and you could say it's an unfair comparison, but it's the only comparison I can make, is comparing it to where you put it compared to the men's game. And I thought the AFLW standard about six years ago was about 14-year-old boys. Um, and last year I thought it got to the stage of about 17-year-old boys. Uh, I saw a football match late last year of an elite uh, 17-year-old kids, boys playing footy. Uh, they'd, they'd have beaten Carlton AFLW to kill their AFLW by 10 goals yesterday. Um, now, you can say, well, uh, they're different games, and yes, they are, um, but this plays into what I think is the greatest problem with AFLW, and that is that it continues to be part of and influenced by the AFL. Uh, now, I've said this long and hard, and I feel I'm a almost becoming a voice in the wilderness about this. Um, I, I just think women's, women do life differently and uh, they, they do sport differently and they do AFL differently. Um, and when I say AFL, I'm going to stop using the expression, is Australian rules football. Um, and I maintain what I've been saying for a long time, Professor, that the AFL should concentrate on what it does well, which is manage 18 elite men's teams. Uh, the AFL... Uh, w, uh, suburban footy, country footy, etc., should start its own league, Australian Rules Football League, where finally women, I think, will start to take charge 
of um, of their of their game, what, what they love to play. Well, what's happening is putting themselves under the auspices of the AFL. What have we got? We've got this hopeless season, hottest time of the year, uh, cramped in. Uh, COVID is not helping clearly, but the same will happen again next year, where they're playing, you know, uh, three games in two weeks, two games in a week. They're playing in hot conditions, windy conditions, uh, unacceptable ground conditions at a time of the year where we're not into AFL. Um, I might talk about this more with, with uh, golf and Cam Smith uh, setting a world record in golf recently, and nobody cares. That's because we Australians have got certain seasons where we expect golf to happen. That's that's the majors, and we don't care about the rest of it. Well, we don't care at this time of the year, at least these days, about watching AFL football. We know that's a March, April uh, to September season. So the women's game is is uh, is just getting shoved to any uh, part of the calendar that the AFL feels is appropriate. Um, the, the women's game, I, I think, is being uh, decimated. It's being uh, ruined uh, primarily by its association with the AFL. And I, I keep saying this, that the women have got to break away, uh, that they will never uh, get to a state where they're physically uh, in, align, in alignment with the, uh, the men's game and thus uh, a genuine alternative to the men's game. That'll take a generation. That'll take 20 years. Kuda uh, and I spoke last week about the fact that the game's been going now for professionally for six years or semi-professionally for six years. The fact of the matter is that young girls now see a pathway that they can play, uh, participate in our great game. Well, that's fine, but the six-year-olds will be of age um, at 22, 16 years, obviously, uh, from when they were six and uh, about 10 years from now. Uh, when those girls are starting to come into their own. The standard, as I say, Professor, is uh, if you're expecting a standard similar to what we expect of the men's game, uh, it's entirely different and less um, and will always suffer from that comparison. If, though, the women's game breaks away from the men's game officially uh, and and the women can actually take control, I don't think Nicole Livingston actually controls the uh, the game in any shape or form, then I think we'll, we'll start to see some uh, real progress. Back in the, the old days, when uh, before it was AFLW, when it was women's football, the women didn't see themselves as part of the AFL. They didn't see themselves as inferior to the AFL. Uh, they should consider themselves as having a, a different product um, and a product that they like. I don't know whether... Uh, those old pioneers look at the game now and say that uh, it's it's a, it's now a better product. There you go. That, that's that's my views, Professor. Happy to be uh, excoriated by the panel. I was just going to say thanks for the warning. You're coming in off a long run-up. I think Joel Garner would be proud of that run-up. I've got <laughs> disgusting, woeful. Uh, apart from that, you enjoyed the night, though? You enjoyed the game? <laughs> well, it was terrific. Um, for the small crowd, I, I, Professor, I know they didn't tell us the crowd. Um, they got off giving crowds for the AFLW. I, I, I went to the match report, crowd to TBC. I didn't think the crowd was all that strong. And I, and I just wonder whether playing at Princess Park or Icon uh, is also a good idea. I, I think one of the beauties of the women's game is uh, played on uh, smaller grounds, uh, more um, 
suburban grounds, park grounds, if you like, where a thousand people uh, make a lot of noise. You, you put them in a, a ground of which, which can take forty thousand people. It looks pretty sparse. Um, As did the NCG for the uh, the 2020 international when there was, I think. 13,000 on show, the southern stand completely empty. That was a strange look. Yeah. yeah. I can tell you, I went to uh, Witten Oval once, and that was fantastic atmosphere, seeing people coming from all directions to watch the game, and it really united the local community. And uh, obviously the AFL men's team doesn't play there, but uh, it was great to see everyone coming from all directions. Judge, you're right with that comment about crowds, and I say that because I've had experience of it. Back when I was associated with the VFL, the 1996 grand final was played at Princess Park and there were about 7,000 people there. Uh, And it looked a terrible spectacle. It had no atmosphere. It had nothing. The next year, they played the grand final at Port Melbourne. They got a similar crowd, although 7,000 people at Port Melbourne is almost a sellout. So... It suddenly looks like a better spectacle. It sounds like a better spectacle. And I took some sponsors to both games. At the second game, the sponsor turned to me and said, well, this is better than last year, isn't it? And, and not only that, um, it looks like the VFL's going places. Well, it didn't have a bigger crowd. It had a different venue and therefore it created a different image. Um, well, well that, that, that's how the women used to play on, on uh, suburban grounds, Professor. And uh, if they got 500 people, which, which they often would, um, that's a good, noisy, involved, vocal crowd. You put 500 people at, uh, at uh, Princess Park and you say, oh, this game's on its way out. Well, it, it's, it's a false look. Um, let me tell you, Judge, I've been at the MCG for a Sheffield Shield match. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The Gelding and I went there after we'd had lunch one day. We, we were looking for something to do, so we decided to go and watch a sporting event. When we walked into the ground, the crowd increased to 10. <laughs> um, believe me, I don't know what the what the Sheffield Shield cricketers got out of playing in front of 10 people. So, um, they should have been playing the game somewhere else. So the, the AFL's kidding itself. They, they, they want to pretend that the women's game has already re- reached the heights. And that, that's why you don't get any criticism of the game. I noticed in the commentary, and by the way, the commentary is starting to drive me a bit nuts with the women's game, but, but the commentary is never critical. Um, and this is obviously a... Well, I don't know if it's, if it's a set play or by the AFL, but it was very uncritical. And I think commentators should be able to say, well, that was woeful. Uh, that, that was uh, appalling. Um, but they don't. It's, it's, all, it's all good. It's all up. It's all vibe. Um, and I, I think it's another problem with the game. Apart from the fact, as I say, the commentary is, uh, yeah, leaves a bit to be desired. Kudos, Kudos. what are your thoughts? Yeah. I've got to disagree a little bit with the judge on this, like we normally do. Um, I think that St Kilda is an issue itself. Um, they they put themselves up as being pioneers and the like, and uh, they had Peter Sells, the the, the first uh, female coach. Um, now Peter Sells no longer there, um, which is fine. Um, I'm not sure that the new appointment of Nicky Del Sando either is um, well. I don't I don't know if he's the right person for the club. I don't think he's ever done a list management, a recruitment. He hasn't coached his own team. He's coached the uh, the Next Generation Academy at St Kilda. So how's he being expected to build a club? Now, the two best players for St Kilda, admittedly, are not playing. But they played Carlton yesterday, who were one position above them on the ladder. And they lost by seven goals. Couldn't kick a goal. Do you know the worst part? Is that they kicked the first two behinds of the game. 
So they did, Kuda. In the first nine minutes, they had, in fact, the first 20 seconds, they had the first point. And then a couple of minutes later, they uh, had a poster. Uh, from, got to say, from 20 metres out. And that was it. That was all the scoring. And, and that was it for the day. Now, I, I watched St Kilda and they don't look as though they've got a game plan. Now, if you want to look at the video of Nick Del Sano from the week before about the effort that they put in against <coughs> Brisbane and how he talks about how we're improving. And now yesterday is a massive step backwards for that club, for that list of players, and I would think for their program. Um, the issue you raised earlier, Professor, is that there's going to be 120 new players required to put on AFLW lists. Okay, so out of it, where are they going to come from? What they're going to do is they're going to. Well, again, I think this will be a show. This will be a show coming up that I'm going to. I'm going to talk about. I'm going to go further into this. But out of the clubs, they're going to have to find 130. Now, some of them affiliate are affiliated with VFL clubs. So Hawthorne have a VFL club. There's some other ones. So WA, they've booked both teams in, but they've got a league underpinning them. John, they've got a seven-team seven competition in the Waffle. Um, the Sandfall is an interesting one. They're obviously got Port Adelaide coming in next year. How many players will go from Adelaide across to Port Adelaide um, now, that South, or now that the Adelaide Crows have won the flags? And what will happen is that the most marketable person probably in the game, definitely in South Australia, you would expect would go from the Crows across to Port Adelaide which is Aaron Phillips, who's, who's just a freak of a player. Mm. So she'll go across. Players will leave Adelaide, go across. Adelaide will then have to, and Port Adelaide will then draw from possibly other clubs, getting players to come home, etc. And then what they'll do is they've got a competition in South Australia that is an eight-team competition as well. So they'll bring players from there coming up. But we're asking these players who haven't been drafted or they're playing at these lower comps to come up and play in the AFLW competition immediately and be competitive. So if you look at the Victorian teams, at the moment, John, the VFLW is being played. Mm -hmm. The VFLW is being played at the moment. Like, it staggers me that that is the case, that it's being played now. Um, It's always been played, the VFLW is always being played during the season, not to satisfy the AFLW. So if you look at the teams that are playing in the VFLW at the moment, You've got Carlton, you've got the Southern Saints, you've got Casey, you've got Darabin, you've got the Bulldogs, Williamstown, Geelong, Hawthorne, North Melbourne, Collingwood, Essendon, Port Melbourne. Now, in there, from my reckoning, there's only three clubs that are standalone clubs that aren't affiliated in some way with an AFL club or AFLW club, I should say. So, obviously, Carlton, the Southern Saints, the St Kilda, um, play out of um, Trevor Barker Oval down at um, Sarringham. Again, a horrible place to play footy with that wind. Horrible place. Uh, you got Casey, who's with the uh, the Melbourne AFLW. Darabin are a standalone club who have provided that many players over the years. Like, if you want to talk footy factories, and, and we love Brian Taylor saying it, Darabin has been the greatest football factory for female football like forever. You've got the Bulldogs, you've got Williamstown, Geelong, Hawthorne, North Collingwood, Essendon, Port Melbourne. Now, Hawthorne are coming in next year and Essendon are coming next year. Now, are those teams going to provide those players to go up and play AFLW 
with players that they get from other clubs. Now, there is nothing to talk about what happens next year. I think what's going to happen is we're going to get the end of the season, award a premiership, and then go, we've got 22 teams, oh, sorry, we've got 18 teams next year. Uh, we're going to make these rules. You can only take two players from each club maximum and then go from there. The draft's going to be subsidised, I think, or whatever they're going to do with that. So um, the teams that have played for years probably don't get a look in until picks 30 to 40 maybe. Um, so you're going to have this compromised draft. That means that AFLW is going to, I think, look stupid again. Like it's just because no one knows what's happening. No one knows what it looks like going forward. There is a, there is a 10-year plan for, uh, for women's football, but they can't, I can't find or I can't see anything that talks about the AFLW specifically because that is a product and, and we call it a product, but that is a product that's being delivered. And at the moment, I think it's being sold short, which we talk about all the time. We talked about it last week, Kuna, and I thank you for sending me that plan. I, I had no idea there was a plan. That's not a plan. That, that, that is a marketing document. Um, we, we talked about, uh, you know, management uh, bingo and all the rest of it. That was, that, that's just full of marketing stuff. I, I didn't see any uh, real light in the hill in terms of the future of the women's game? The other thing is the standard of the football has improved. And, and there will be games, there are games, I should say there will be, but there are games that are horrible to watch. And what happens is I think it changes the standard of both teams. Um, so we talked about the Adelaide Bulldogs game probably being one of the best games of AFLW that's ever been played. Um, played in perfect conditions in Adelaide um, at Norwood Oval, which creates good football. When we're playing matches at Casey, um, when we're playing matches at Maroochydore, Trevor Barker Oval, these grounds that are shocking for even VFL stand. Like, look, think of the number of games that you've watched at Trevor Barker Oval where there hasn't been wind. Think about Casey when there hasn't been wind. And it is shocking footy to watch at those grounds because the wind blows from the east to the west, or sorry, the west to the east, or the north to the south, or northwest, southeast, whatever it is, and there's predominantly one side that's played. Now, you don't get that if you're playing at, like, Melbourne, Brisbane tonight, as an example, Professor, it's being played at Carrara or Metricon, whatever it's called now. You won't get that wind. You'll get perfect conditions for two of the best teams in the AFLW to hopefully put on a really good game of footy. Open, expansive, skillful footy being played tonight. I think it's tucked away somewhere on pay TV. So so my, my, my fundamental point about the women's game dissociating itself from the AFL, you disagree with. You think the women should... Uh, you see, I think you've, you've raised a perfect point. The VFLW would be a far better bedfellow uh, partner for the women's game than the AFL because I think the VFL is, is more akin to uh, grassroots sport, which I think is what the women's game is more akin to. The women's game is not an elite game. The AFL is an elite competition, and I think the uh, disparity between the two just becomes more and more evident uh, all the time, particularly, as I say, when the AFL controlling the game shoves the women's game into whatever part of the season it wants to. I think the women's game would be far better joining up with the, uh, the VFLW. You mentioned Darabin. That, that's a club that has always uh, genuinely encouraged uh, women's football. Uh, I, no, no, I'll go back a step, is that the AFL should, should not be involved in AFLW. Right. Oh, that's, that's clear That's clear as day, continues to be. Um, 
I still don't understand the role of the CEO. I'm still unsure about Nicole's role. She's a great face for it and that's it, but I don't know actually what she does behind it. The other thing is that, Judge, and this is saying that, like, is that this week there was a photo on Insta or social media with one of the Collingwood players turning up to training um, in her ambulance gear because she's come straight from work and it's been praised and all that sort of stuff now. The AFLW, the AFL Players Association represents both the AFL and the AFLW players. And we know who the president of the AFL Players Association is. Shouldn't this be set? I, I just get the feeling, shouldn't this be separate? Like the AFL player, like the, the men will say, well, we deserve this. And then the women will say, well, where's the middle ground if there is going to be anything? Like, there's just so much to work on for this competition. And for me, I love it. I think it's growing. I think it's the football's getting better. You actually know more players than just Daisy Pierce now. You've got young kids that are, are going along watching it. Paul's point before about the Western Oval, I had a memory come up this week from five years ago, I think it was, Melbourne played the Bulldogs out there in a practice match. Um, so the men played, say the men played at four o'clock and I think the women then played after it under lights and you're able to have cans on the hill. Um, you had a big crowd and the footy was excellent. And suburban community sport, at its absolute best. You got the train there, you then get the train out of there, people in all their colours. It's not the sterile, like, going to the MCG or the like. It was brilliant. So your issue with Optus Oval, Princess Park, uh, Kia, whatever it's called now, I don't know, it's it's in Carlton, is that that John is now the headquarters of AFLW. That's... Icon. Yeah, Icon is the home of AFLW. That's the facility that they're going to have as their... Their ground. So again, they're sharing it with Carlton. I think the umpires, Professor, you might know, I think the umpires might still be there. So it's not their own ground. It's not their own facility. They're sharing it with the others. And it's a pretty crap ground, to be honest, John. Like it's just got stands that have been hobbled together. And yeah, it looks half built. And now I'm very interested, the two of you though, you talk at length about the game. How could you be so at odds with whether the standard is improving? And you, you're not just saying, it's flatlining, Judge. You are saying the standard is plummeting, and yet we've got Puda, who knows the sport well as well, saying in his view it's improving. I, I'm still trying to work out that. Sure. That I, I think I think there's a great and a greater disparity between the good teams and the lower teams, uh, and St Kilda is is woeful, uh, and I, I think both of those teams yesterday would have been beaten by a good team of 17 year old boys, different from the elite teams, you know, the Adelaide's possibly the. The, the crows at the uh, bulldogs. Um, that what's what concerns me is not only that uh, it is a, it is flatlining at the lower levels; it's going to get worse. Uh, now I know it will get better as the six-year-olds become the twenty-two-year-olds, but that's going to take, as I say, a generation, um, and we have to be patient about that. I think people are expecting the standard now to be consistently high, uh, and and it's not. And I I would think, Judith, that. A lot of people who would have seen the game yesterday would say, gee, I'm not sure if I'm going to spend my hard-earned to, uh, to come to watch this stuff again. I agree with what you're saying about yesterday's game. Like, you look at yesterday's oh, I, don't, game. I don't think it's aberration, though, Kuda. You, you think it's an aberration? What I saw yesterday. Yeah. St Kilda, like how long has St Kilda been going, John? Well, Since 2020. They've, they've had the opportunity to build a list and they haven't been able to. Mm-hmm. You look at the players yesterday and their skill level, their skill level yesterday to be able to hit targets or kick the ball or 
put their head over it, whatever you want to call it, was horrible. Mm. It wasn't called out that. Like that, and I understand your point about the comment. The commentary of Australian sport at the moment is that I think it's lowest ebb. Mm. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Daisy Pierce. She's been um, knocked off the, the duck of his role, I saw, because so, she's mm. such a good insight on the game. I don't think that's just on gender, that appointment. The viewers genuinely like what she brings to the table and the duck go on. So, uh, but Paul, you raise a point, right, is that they've had a change and that, that's so off cue for channels. So Channel 7, that's, that's very weird for them because they're promoting the arse out of Wayne Carey about his uh, appearing on SAS coming up. But Daisy Pierce's efforts over her commentating or boundary writing career show that she should be doing more than just boundary line, possibly a greater role of special comments, just not Friday night. And she's the greatest promotion for AFLW and for women and girls to go, right, I want to be like Daisy Pierce. I want to be like Erin Phillips, who's a gun, right? So all of a sudden you've got these, these players that are actually doing things other than football. Okay, so can I just go back to John's point, though, is that the actual commentary around, like, it's, it's very nice like they don't talk about when a player misses a target by 20 metres and kicks it out of bounds or they, they don't say it's a skill error or anything like that. They don't, like, whether that's just something that, like, the network or the broadcaster said. But we know watching it that the girl on the mark is 20 out and the girl having a shot will have to kick it 25. And you know that she's got no chance of making the distance. But the commentators will say she'll go back and she'll put this through. Like, that's... It's a men's game. You so. think Oprah's commentating. Everyone's a winner. You you get a prize. You get a prize. You're a winner. All right, just just finish on these stats, gentlemen, and it'll just I think highlight the difficulties that AFLW has got coming up. There were eight teams admitted to the competition in 2017. Of those eight teams, five of them currently comprise the top six. There were two teams admitted in 2019. One of those is in the top six. One of those is outside. Of the four teams that were admitted in 2020, all of them are outside the top six. Three of them are in the bottom four. Now, there's already a huge gap between the teams that were admitted in 2017 and the rest. The figures show that. It's going to be worsened because four teams are coming in next season. The AFL hasn't fixed the problem that they've already got and they're going to add to it. So all I can see is there's certainly going to be dilution. If we look at how the AFL added to the AFL as some guide to how this should happen, teams were admitted to the AFL from back in the 1980s. Then there were a couple in the 1990s and then in the 20s. There was never four teams admitted at once and the only time that two teams were admitted was when the Bears and West Coast Eagles were admitted in 1987. And they they had feeder teams. And, and we know how the Bears team was put together. They were given cast two cast-offs from each team. So, and just looking at draft concessions, when the Gold Coast came in in 2012, or 2011, sorry, in the draft preceding that, these are the Gold Coast concessions. Pick one, pick two, pick three, pick five, pick seven, pick nine, pick 11, pick 13, pick 15. We've got four women's teams coming in. For one team to be at least competitive, they would have to get the same, surely the same concessions that Gold Coast got when they came in, but they can't because there's four teams coming in. And then where does that leave the rest of the competition? Like, Professor, it, Professor it, that, that just shows how the AFL screw it up when they are dealing with the competition which they love, which is the men's competition, 
Given the competition they really have no interest in, but it's good for their marketing, namely the women's game, it is going to be the greatest schmozzle of all time. Women, get out of there. Uh, get out of there before this, this gets really ugly. Join the, uh, the VFL, do whatever, but get out of there because this is just going to get, I think, really bad. The only problem about, only problem about that, judges, is that the VFL is run by the AFL. Uh, not, not, not if they have the Australian Rules Football League, which I'm suggesting. But anyway, yes, that's another that. story. Uh, Professor, can I, can I just go back? Why didn't the AFL just do all 18 teams at once, right? And they did a couple of years of the um, show. I was going to show the show game of Melbourne versus Bulldogs and they got to draft a couple of teams and, and then they, they showed that and said this is what... So they got them to play from Darabin and WA and whatever it was, right? Why didn't they at that time just go, right, we're going to put all... We're going to get all 18 teams into a competition because guess what? We would not be sitting here today talking about admitting four clubs and making the competition weaker. We would have been in the position from day one of having 18 teams and the standard might have been worse at day one, but guess what? We're not here today talking about how crap it is that the AFL is running the women's competition. We're looking at concessions to get four teams in, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I know that they couldn't do it because I don't think there was the the numbers of females playing footy or they're able to because of the um, semi-professional status, but... It just seems that from day one, we've been doomed the way they've done it. And here we are today, what we've got. Kuda, I'm going to go out and buy a DeLorean uh, and get myself a flux capacitor and do exactly that because that's the only solution that that, uh, could, could happen. And they should have seen that at the time. The fact of the matter is they really didn't care. As long as they were seen to be on the right side of, of women who make up almost half the spectators of the game, that was their aim. And uh, the, the proverbial chickens are coming home to roost. Thanks for listening to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about us. Yeah.